someone has said that each and every one of us have three spectators viewing our life. Think about that. Other people around us are looking at our lives. And we're conscious of the fact of what we say and what we do and what we become that they are aware of that very thing. And so we have those that are around us that is a spectator. They're watching us. Number two, we are a spectator. We look at our own lives and we take a a clear type of inventory of what the type of person we really are. And then number three, God is our spectator. That God himself watches us and he has a particular opinion about us. How do we view ourselves? Do we view ourselves as being someone that has already attained and have already arrived? I'm reminded of what Paul said In Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, I need to begin to look at my life and begin to take a clear inventory to make sure that I don't look at my life as someone that has arrived. It's amazing to me of the super spiritual saints that they are in our churches today. They get a little bit of knowledge of the scriptures, and the next thing you know, that they're super spiritual. Well, my friend, it may be that you are looking at your life in the wrong perspective. And then, of course, I think about what others might think of myself. And what people think about me. Oliver Cromwell, who served England from 1649 to 1658, he was having his uh, picture painted, his portrait. And he had a great big wart on the side of his cheek. And he told the artist, he said, I want you to paint this portrait just exactly the way that I am with the wart and all. My friend, I want you to understand when God looks at us, he sees all the warts, does he not? The warts and those that do not have the warts. I'm so grateful to know that it is important that I am reminded of the opinion, not only of others and the opinion that I have of myself, but the opinion that God has of me. And as you go back and you begin to look in this passage of Scripture, you'll begin to notice that those three observations is found in this passage of Scripture. The Bible talks about there was a centurion, a centurion, someone that was high-ranking in the military. In fact, in the Roman army, the centurion was almost like what you would call the backbone of the army. 
He was a man of great wealth. He was a man of prestige. He was a man of power and authority. And yet, here is a man comes before the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want us to do is to look at the life of this centurion for a few moments. And I want us to look at those three spectators. What others thought of him, what he thought of himself, and also what God thought of him. First of all, let's think about that we see his high opinions of what others thought of him. The Bible tells us, In Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, now notice this, they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. In other words, there was those that have observed the life of this centurion They came before the Lord Jesus Christ and they said, if there's anybody deserves their servant to be healed, this man's servant needs to be healed. A Malay proverb, it says something like this. It is better to die with a good name than to live with a bad one. And I agree with that so heartily. Here is a man that had a good name from around those that was around him. They spoke with the highest terms as they spoke of this centurion. They said to Jesus in verse 7 and in verse 4, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Now, let's stop and ask the question, why did they say that? This man had a good name. This man, as they recommended to Jesus, is deserving for you to mind his need and take care of the problem that he's faced with, which was, of course, his servant was being, it was very sick and was almost ready to die. I think there's two reasons why they thought he was so deserving for the Lord to heal his servant. Number one, I believe because he had accepted them racially. Now, you must stop and you think about who is in the picture as we're talking of this passage of scriptures. Jews are recommending a Gentile to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles would not even speak to a Jew. And yet, here we're finding these people here who are Jews recommending to the Lord Jesus Christ this centurion. 
These Jews love this centurion. Why? Simply because he did not show any bias. He did not show any prejudice. He was one that showed that he loved the Jews. And he became a part of their religion. And that was the second point that I noticed here. Not only that he accepted them racially, but he accepted them religiously. It appears that this centurion had adopted their religion. He was a Jewish proselyte. And in his generosity, we find that he built them a synagogue. He built them a synagogue. And it says there in that verse of Scripture that the synagogue... None of the, in other words, saying that that was the only synagogue that was in the area. When he became a part of their religion, he began to recognize their need, and by recognizing their need, he met their need, and he built a, syn- a synagogue. So, he had accepted them religiously. The people around him, no wonder they had a high opinion of him. No wonder they respected him. No wonder they lifted him up before the Lord Jesus Christ and said, this is a man that is so deserving for your attention. Cicero said this, to disregard What the world thinks of us is not only arrogant, but utterly shameless. It matters what other people think of you. It matters what they think and how they view your life. The world may despise our standards. They may degrade our convictions. They may detest our faith. But they should never, never doubt who we are and what we are. My friend, I want you to understand, they should never doubt our sincerity. They should never doubt our honesty. They should never doubt our generosity. They should never doubt our integrity. And friend, I want you to understand, it matters what people think of you. And that's why, my friend, not only at home, but as well as on the job. I've always said this, and I say it again. If you really want to know who you really are, go home and ask your children. Because they'll tell you what you are behind closed doors. When nobody else sees you or hears you, they see you and they hear you. Go and ask your coworkers. They're with you every day. They see you in the good days and they see you in the bad days. And they see what kind of person you are. No doubt these Jews had watched this centurion and they had recognized that he was a man of God. He was one of respect. They had won their respect. And yet, 
you see a second opinion about him. Not only do we see this high opinion by his fellow people, but we also see a humble opinion of his own self. This second spectator of life is ourselves. How do we view ourselves? Sometimes people view themselves very lowly. Sometimes they view themselves very highly. But how should we view ourselves? How should we think of ourselves? Now, if anybody had a right to be arrogant, to be haughty, it would seem to me as if the centurion had that right. I mean, you think about him. Here's a man of wealth. He's a man of power. He's a man of prestige. He is a man of great authority. And yet, I see he had a low, humble opinion about himself. I'm reminded of what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That we should not think more highly than we should think of ourselves. And then, of course, what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth. That's good advice. Let someone else praise you and you do not praise yourself. But you began to think about the attitude. You'll notice that it was a personal attitude. It was a personal attitude of humility. Listen to these verses of scriptures in verses 6 and 7. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy. Underline that. That you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Others had a high opinion of this man, but this man had an opinion that was very humble. He was a very humbling man. So often our lives are marked with pride and arrogance. Sort of like a preacher one time, after he got through preaching one Sunday, he was riding home with his uh, wife, and he felt like, man, he preached a great sermon that day. And uh, he said to his wife, you know, honey, there are not many great preachers left in this world today. And she said, yeah, and there's one less than you think, too. (laughs) Oh, my friend, it's amazing how our wives can humble us, isn't it? Brenda Brenda knows very well how to do that. 
That's why I don't ask for her opinion most of the time. Because <laughs> most of the time she will give it to me whether I ask or not. That man was me just a few moments ago. <laughs> no, I'm just picking. Heard about a man who authored a book, and he titled this book, Humility and How I Attained It. <laughs> and they said it went to the printing press, and the printer ran out of eyes before he could complete the book. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand. Have you ever noticed of how we try to disguise our pride? Like the football player says, well, I only scored three touchdowns last night. Like the mother who said, I wish my daughter would play more and not read as much of Plato and Aristotle. Like the lady said, you wouldn't, you would have believe this and to know that my husband always leads me the Rolls Royce. I despise driving that big car around. It's amazing how we will discuss. We'll even do it spiritually. We'll say, let me tell you how the Lord's blessed. And then we began to talk about what we have done. Heard about a monastery that had been restored in, in Pennsylvania. And they say that as you walk through that monastery, that the, um, the, as you walk in underneath those doors, that they're rather low. And if you're not careful, you'll hit your head walking underneath those doors as you walk through that door. And they said the reason for that is to remind us of our humility. To remind us of our humility. I think some of us needs to have our heads banged, don't you? To remind us of our humility. And to know that what we are and what we have possessed and who we are and what is being demonstrated in our life is all because the good gift of God has been upon us. And it's not because of what we have done or what we haven't done. So you notice this personal attitude of humility, but also you know this proper attitude of humility. The simple truth, is it not that we're all unworthy? I mean, the simple truth is that if we're completely honest, we have to declare, as the centurion declared, I am unworthy of all of God's blessings. I mean, you stop and you think about it. If it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, every one of us would die and go to hell. If it wasn't for the blessings of God, we could be born in another world and in a poverty-stricken world. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. There was a student, a piano student. She was on a summer vacation in Europe, and she happened to go to where Beethoven had written many of the choice pieces of music. In her brashness, she sits down at Beethoven's piano. 
And she begins to play. The guide that was with her, he looked at her and she said, I guess all the great pianists who have come have sat down here and played Beethoven's piano. The guide said, all the greatest pianists have certainly come through here, but not a one have played that piano. They felt like they were unworthy to play such a piano. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand, I believe one of the greatest characteristics of a child of God is humility and not pride. How unworthy we are to even call His name. How unworthy we are to even take advantage of the things that we have. So undeserved, so unearned, so unmerited. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, listen to this scripture very clearly. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. According to His grace. And my friend, as we begin to reflect ourselves in a proper manner, just like this centurion, how unworthy we really are. But oh, how blessed. How blessed. My friend, we see a third opinion. And this opinion blesses me more than the other two. We saw how the Jewish people looked upon this centurion and all how they felt that he was deserving of the Lord's attention and answered the prayer to heal this servant. We have noticed the humility of this centurion. But now I want you to notice we see the holy opinion. The third spectator. Not only what he thought of himself, what others thought of it, but what Jesus thought of him. The Bible says in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Underline that word, circle that word, because it's only used twice in the New Testament. Once when Jesus looked at the unbelieving Jew and he marveled at their unbelief. And now he marvels, and the word marvel means amazed, astonished, admired. He admired the faith of this centurion In such a fashion, he says, I've never seen such faith in all of throughout the Jewish region. The centurion's expectation. The Bible says there in Luke chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word. And my servant will be healed. 
For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to the one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This centurion recognized that Jesus was just not an ordinary person. He recognized he was a man of authority. He recognized he was the Son of God. He recognized that all Jesus had to do was speak it. He didn't have to go in person and touch this this servant. Because the centurion realized what authority was all about. He said, I can say to my servant, go, and he goes. I can tell him to come, and he comes. I can tell him to do this, and he does it. I recognize authority. And oh, my friend, to be a man of authority, you must be under authority. And that's exactly what he realized here. He realized that all Jesus had to do was to hear, speak it, and this man would be healed. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm amazed. I marvel. I'm astonished that you have such faith. Could it possibly be that He had been in situations where people had doubted him, of course. Could it possibly have been that he had been in situations that people did not believe? Of course. I think about you and me today. The Word of God speaks with authority. And when it speaks, it says as if... That God himself in the human form, they're saying it to you verbally. That's why I hold this word so high and reverent. It's because it speaks of the authority of Almighty God. And that I place myself under that authority. You place yourself under that authority. I did that at the moment of my birth, my new birth. When Christ came into my life, what did what happened there? I responded to his word. On a day-by-day fashion, when I'm seeking his wisdom and I'm seeking direction for a decision to make, or I'm seeking his will in a way that I should go. I look to his word and to know that his word speaks with authority and it gives me direction and I don't have to question it and I don't have to doubt it. I feel sorry for people who doubt God's word. This centurion didn't. Just speak it and it shall be done. Just say the word, Lord, and it shall be done. What faith. 
What a magnifying faith that this had. No wonder the Lord was so amazed to hear this centurion. No doubt during those times that this centurion had accepted their religion of the Jewish faith, that he had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he had done and what he could do, and how he could perform mighty, mighty miracles. And the Lord, no doubt, was blessed when this man realized if he did it for one, he'll do it for me. And that's the same way in your life today, my friend. If he did it for the centurion, he'll do it for you. But it's the kind of faith that you have that magnifies the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But one last thing. Not only the centurion's expectation, but also this centurion's commendation. Jesus said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith No, not in Israel. The Lord recognized the depth of his faith. And what did the Lord do? He immediately began began to deliver words of praise and commendation to this dear man. What others thought of him was inspiring. What he thought of himself was important. But all what Jesus thought of him, it was invoking. The most important spectator that we have today is God himself. And that he knows the kind of faith that we have today. I ask you a question today. Is God happy with you and happy with your faith? Is he happy with you and your way and walk with the Lord? Can God make such a statement about you? Can he make such a statement about me? I'm afraid there's days in my life that when I want to whimper and whine and complain instead of exercising the faith that I need sometimes. I don't know what you're going through today. But have you ever noticed that God allows situations to come into our life just like he did with the centurion's servant that prompts our faith, that challenges us, that makes us go deep into the scriptures and deep in our faith to abide with him in accordance to his will. Some of you may be going through something right now. And it may seem like an impossibility. 
But, oh, I'm here to tell you that God is great and He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. And He is prompting your faith just like He did this centurion. I challenge you today. Be a man and woman of faith. Be a man and a woman that Christ would commend. I can almost imagine at the judgment seat of Christ when that centurion stands before the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord would look at him and say, this is my child. He has done well. I recommend him to receive many rewards, many blessings. I long to hear, do you not, to hear the Lord say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us such an example here today a man that trusted in you and believed in you and exercised faith that became such a perfect example before us today. Help us, dear Lord, to be men and women of faith. That would amaze you. The Bible reminds us, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Lord, the greatest faith that one could ever have is by placing their trust in You as Lord and Savior. I wonder if there's someone here today that needs to make that decision. One of the greatest faith that they can do is to follow you in baptism and to identify with your death, burial, and resurrection. Father, one of the greatest faith that one can demonstrate is that daily walk with you as we find ourselves up against the wall and not knowing how we're going to make it. And then we turn to you and to say, Oh God, help me fulfill your will and your way. Oh dear Lord, speak in a powerful way to your people today. Help us to be people of faith. In Jesus we pray.